Hello and welcome. I'm Trumpet Man, and you're listening to the 40 Card College Podcast, a podcast about advancing your limited game, whether you're a first-time drafter or trophy master. So this week on the podcast is an exciting one because Brothers War is dropping. So our main topic today, we are going to look at uh, all the colors in the Brothers War and do a kind of mini condensed version of a set review. What we're going to be doing is looking at each color, what they're about, talking about the mechanics, and then I'm going to talk about what I think the best cards are ranked um, in each color for commons and uncommons. So that's kind of our plan. Um, but it also ties into what's going on with 40 Card College this week. So if we look at what was happening, as you're listening to this, it might already be after the deck skeleton stream, but there's a deck skeleton stream that's going to happen Friday, November 11th at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So on that stream, which is twitch.tv slash trumpetman, I'm going to be going through all the different archetypes, the two color archetypes, and then maybe if we can find hidden archetypes, maybe those two. And it's going to be based off of some of the conversations and ideas that take place today on the podcast, where I think through just all the different cards and, you know, what I'm looking out for in terms of building the archetypes, the best cards on raw power, and also synergy. So taking what I've done in terms of going through the spoilers and really thinking about the set overall, and applying that into the deck archetypes on stream itself. So if you're listening after Friday, October 11th, which is very possible because I'm recording the previous day to that, then um, you can always check out that stream either on the the Twitch uh, VOD, or I also put them up on the YouTube as well and on the site. But they take a little time to get to the site. So you can always go directly to the Twitch VOD and see it from there. I will be doing this type of episode earlier in the week in the future, but I just it kind of crept up on me this very first time. So that's what's going on with the website. In addition... This week, I released a new developing article on deck building. So if you're interested in thinking about how to build better decks, you're feeling kind of comfortable with the drafts themselves, but then how do you translate into building the best decks so that then you can bring those to your actual draft games and win more often, then definitely go check out the new article on deck building on the 40 Card College website. Um, And that's what's going on here. Next up, we have the question of the week. This is brought to you by patron Rossimo, who asks, if you could build a set cube from any limited set, so basically like to be able to keep drafting them over and over again, which set would it be? So I have to kind of think about like nostalgia, but also like what sets did I love? um, What was the best? And I think if I had to pick one set that I just love to draft over and over again and just like harkens back to, I think, just really good magic, I'd probably pick Cons of Tarkir, which is like an ancient set. If we think back to it, it's probably almost 10 years old at this point. But what I really liked about Cons of Tarkir was that it had the morph mechanic. So that was kind of your mana smoothing mechanic. And you had this fun sub game of you never knew what your opponent's morphs were. So you had a bunch of face down cards everywhere and you're trying to figure that out. It was the first wedge set with the enemy color pairs. So that was interesting. And we still sometimes talk about like, you know, Mardu, Jeskai, like those really iconic names that we'll still use, Sultai. So I think Kansa Tarkir just was an awesome set. Um, Delve was a lot of fun and limited. So there was just cool mechanics, cool flavor, cool abilities, cool everything. And so basically I love 
drafting it. And uh, I think some of the rares were really fun and the build rounds were fun too. So I picked Hans of Tarkir for that question. Awesome question. Thanks for sending that in. Rossimo, any patron at any level can always send in questions of the week and then we'll answer them here on the show. All right, speaking of Patreon, there is a Patreon. Everything here at 40 Card College is always free. However, there is the Patreon in case you want, you know, added perks. You can check out the levels there at patreon.com slash 40 card college. But uh, never donate if you feel like it would impact you financially. There's a lot of free ways that you can help. Uh, if you want to support 40 Card College, like leave a review on your podcast of choice, especially Apple Podcasts helps out uh, the show a lot. But also just, you know, following or subscribing wherever you might find 40 Card College. Tell a friend. These are all ways that you can help the community grow. And um, it's been cool this last week, just like seeing more people hear about the community. And so we're, we're growing in terms of the Discord and just keeping that going wherever we happen to want to talk about Limited. And again, that's like the main takeaway from why I'm doing this in the first place is I think just building the best discussions around limited about getting better, you know, from starting drafting all the way to advanced play. It's just interesting at every step of the way. So I know, you know, if you're listening to this, you probably love draft. You might love sealed, (laughs) Uh, but you love those 40 card formats. So uh, that is everything there in terms of the Patreon. And one of the perks is when you first subscribe, you get your name shout out on the on the podcast so i want to thank rosimo for joining this week thank you so much for your going to our main topic now so there are three mechanics that i want to cover for brothers war the first one is power stones so a power stone is a token it's an artifact and you can tap it to add colorless to your mana pool but it can't be used to cast non-artifact spells so you can cast artifacts with it you can use it for abilities you could pay for other costs. So power stones, you just kind of accumulate them, and then you can use that mana in unique and different ways according to the different cards in the set. So we'll get to more of that later. The next mechanic that's featured is prototype. What prototype does is it basically turns a card into a split card. So prototype reads, you may cast this spell with different mana cost, color, and size. It keeps its abilities and types. So the example I chose was combat thresher, which costs seven mana it's an artifact creature and it's a three three double strike so very very powerful and when it comes into the battlefield draw a card but if you don't have seven mana you can instead cast it for two and a white and so then instead of a three three double strike that enters the battlefield and draws a card you get a one one double strike that enters the battlefield and draw a card so all of these are cycles that kind of care about you know going from a low power to a high power giving you modality um, I think all, a bunch of the prototype cards are super interesting. Uh, a lot of them play around with the power sizing of the creature. So like, for example, with the Combat Thresher, putting the double strike on this creature makes it very, very different having a 1-1 double strike versus a 3-3 double strike. So a lot of the keywords, I think, are chosen on the cards to make them play differently in the two different modes, like the impact they have on the game. And I think prototype is just very powerful. Anytime you add modality to things... Um, like we've seen it recently in the kicker in uh, Dominator United. Um, it just makes the cards way, way more powerful. So I'm pretty excited about Prototype. I think it's an awesome mechanic. Um, and then we have a returning mechanic, Unearth. So Unearth, uh, you pay a cost, and then what Unearth reads is you return this card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste, exile at the beginning of the next instep, or if it would leave the battlefield, Unearth only as a sorcery. So an example of that is Scrapwork Cohort, which is four colorless for an artifact creature soldier, and it's a 3-1. Uh, 
When Scrapwork Cohort enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 colorless soldier artifact creature token, and it has unearth 2 and a white. So you kind of get your 3-1 plus your 1-1, then when it dies, eventually you bring it back for another 3 mana. You get to attack with it again, you get another 1-1, and you get some value off of it. So the unearthed creatures, they kind of range in terms of like value creatures that do things when you sacrifice them or contribute to some, you know, overall effect with your game plan. And then there's some that are just like raw stats and they come back and they hit your opponent one more time. And there's everything in between. There's even some non-creatures where basically you can like sacrifice them for some ability and then you can bring them back with the unearthed to do it again, which is kind of interesting twist on unearth. Uh, that's kind of new. All right. So those are our three mechanics that we discussed. Next, I want to talk about an overview of each color. So rather than look at the two color archetypes, I kind of want to look at what the colors overall are doing because some of the archetypes don't always hit once we start to draft the set. We realize like, oh, maybe there was too narrow, like a certain build around. Like for example, there's a blue-white gold uncommon that pumps soldiers in this set. But to say blue-white is soldiers is like a little bit reductive and I don't know if it's actually going to get there because there's a lot of things built around those uncommons. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at each color and talk about some of the main themes of each color. And then we can start to sort of see where those pieces overlap and if they actually exist at common and how that's going to happen. And we'll get a lot more into it. Also a reminder about that stream. When I built the deck skeletons, I'll see how all those pieces fit together. But right now I'm just going to talk about what those pieces actually are. So in white, white is all about soldiers, artifact aggression, and unearth. So if we look at all those pieces, uh, first up we have Warlord's Elite, which is two and a white for a 4-4, so way above rate. It's a human soldier, and as an additional cost to cast a spell, tap two untapped artifacts, creatures, and or lands you control. So it's a soldier. There's a lot of soldiers and ways to pump soldiers in white, so it kind of fits into that theme. And then also you want to get onto on the board quickly with like various creatures and artifacts. This rewards you for getting like creatures and power stones and things into play because you can use them to pay for the Warlord's Elite to get into play more quickly. Um, so that kind of goes with the artifacts and soldier theme. And then also with Unearth, I had just read that Scrapwork Cohort, that 3-1 that comes with a 1-1 soldier and it has Unearth. So that's an example of how we might see Unearth in white. So that's what's going on with white. With blue, blue's a little more interesting with the soldiers, because I put a question mark next to it. I don't really know if like blue actually cares about soldiers. Like it has a decent number of soldiers, but there's not that many payoffs for the soldiers. There's like a couple. So an example that we'll, we'll kind of have to earmark and see is Air Marshal. At common, it's one in a blue for a 2-1. You can pay three mana, target soldier gains flying until end of turn. So you get kind of just this, you know, two mana 2-1. It kind of sits around, maybe it does something, and then it can start either jumping itself into the air or jumping other soldiers in the air. It's a payoff, certainly, but I don't know if, like, that's the reason to necessarily draft soldiers. If you had a ton of other things, maybe it comes together. I think you will end up with some amount of soldiers if you draft blue-white, so maybe it makes the cut there. But blue also has a ton of cards that make power stones, so it has a way to ramp out some of these prototype cards and other artifacts we've been talking about. So an example of power stone creation is Stern Lesson, which is a common instant, costs two and a blue, and it says draw two cards and discard a card. Create a tap power stone token. So 
this alone is basically like kind of filtering your cards, helping smooth your draws out, but then also it's just going to ramp you with that Power Stone token. So I think this kind of effect where you just tack on Power Stone token to a card that maybe you would already play is a nice way that you just kind of keep building them up and then you're going to start powering out those really expensive cards that are going to change the course of the game. So if you're able to make enough Power Stones, which it looks like blue kind of that's a piece of it, then that's very powerful. And then also a final theme is kind of this theme where when you draw your second card in a turn, you get a bonus and like spells mattering, often through prowess. So an example of this is um, Philogy Archaeologist, which is one in blue for a common creature. It's a human scout and it's an O3. So it reads, when Philogy Archaeologist enters the battlefield, mill three cards. You may put a non-creature, non-land card from among the cards milled this way into your hand. If you don't, put a plus one, plus one counter on Philogy Archaeologist. This card, it really wants you to fill your deck with these non-creatures. And you basically get an O3 and that non-creature. So as long as you have enough non-creatures, you know, 10 to 15 of them, I don't know. uh, As long as you have a lot of them in your deck, then Philogy Archaeologist is going to be a pretty good card. And if you have enough other, like your other creatures all having like prowess or caring about spells, then it's going to help fuel that and often just be a two for one and the body's going to sit there. But you don't necessarily want to play a two mana one four. So you have to make sure you build your deck in ways that you can actually take advantage of the mill factor to get a non-creature off of the mill. So blue really cares about spells, power stone creation, and maybe soldiers. (laughs) Time will tell. Next is black. Black cares about good removal, creatures in your graveyard, and sacrificing artifacts and or creatures. So an example of this really good removal that combines this creatures in your graveyard theme is overwhelming remorse, which is uh, common at instant. It costs four and a black, um, and you can exile target creature or planeswalker. So that's already pretty good, but it has this writer text on it. It says this spell costs one less to cast, for each creature card in your graveyard. So base rate, four and a black, exiled target creature or planeswalker at instant speed. Like We've already seen that card without the cost reduction bonus before, and it's pretty good. I think the card Final Death was just four and a black instant to exile target creature. That card was like totally playable and fine. So the fact that you can get Overwhelming Remorse down to three, two, maybe even one mana, just by you know playing the game of magic, getting cards in your graveyard, and fueling it with some self mill, like this card is super powerful and shows like the efficiency and power of black removal in the set, and also this theme of getting creatures in your graveyard. Now, there's also ways to get creatures in your graveyard through sacrifice. So an example of that is the Kill Zone Acrobat, which is a common creature, human soldier. It's a 3-2 that costs 2 and a black. Whenever Kill Zone Acrobat attacks, you may sacrifice another creature or artifact. If you do, Kill Zone Acrobat gains flying until end of turn. So not a great card because it's a 3-mana 3-2. We know that that's not a great stat line, but it's playable. But if you are able to sacrifice other creatures or artifacts for value, or if for some reason you want to like sacrifice something small to fuel your graveyard to get a bonus kill zone acrobat could be a piece to that puzzle so that's what black cares about is those few things removal creatures in graveyard artifact creature sacrifice next up is red red cares about just artifacts in general and also sacrificing them unearth and also being aggressive so an example of this is pentagon strongbowl 
which is two and a red for a common creature. It's a Minotaur. It's a two, three. And you can pay one, sacrifice an artifact. Penragon Strongbull gets plus one, plus one until in a turn and deals one damage to each opponent. It's like not a very good rate, a, a three mana, two, three, but it shows that like red really cares about getting these little artifacts and it has this threat of activation where if you had collected a few power stones, your opponent can't really block it with a 3-3. So they have to put a bunch of stuff in front of it. So it's probably chipping in for some damage because of that threat of activation. And then because it hits your opponent for that one damage, when you sacrifice an artifact plus pumping it, you can kind of just like deal a ton of damage out of nowhere with the Pentagon Stronghold. So it kind of shows like, yeah, you want to be aggressive. You want to be getting all the artifacts. You want to be sacrificing them. And you have all of that here. Another great example of like artifacts and caring about being aggressive is Blitz Automaton. It's a common artifact creature um, that costs seven mana. So, yep, you guessed it. It has prototype also. So for seven mana, you get a six, four haste. But for prototype two and a red, you get a three, two haste. So again, it has those two modes, but it just a three, two haste slamming on turn three. That's pretty aggressive. It starts to deal damage. And then later in the game, 6-4 haste, like that even just being in the format, your opponent always has to respect this card. It could come down, they might have to hold back extra blockers. So red wants to attack, red gets to be aggressive, red cares about all these artifacts and these synergies, and so you want to be on the lookout for that when, when playing red decks. Our last color is green. Green cares about self-mill, creatures in the graveyard, and ramp. So an example of the self-mill is Wasteful Harvest, which is a common. It costs two and a green for an instant. It says, mill five cards. You may put a permanent card from among the cards milled this way into your hand. So it just dumps a ton of cards from the top of your deck into your graveyard, which is going to put you know creatures there, lands there. Obviously, the whole point is that you get a card from that into your hand. So you're basically cycling it into a better card that you actually want. I don't know if it's worth paying two and a green for that ability. But it has a lot of synergy with green and also specifically green-black. There are some cards in green that care about getting enough creatures into your graveyard. So Wasteful Harvest is going to help fuel that. If we look at ramping, there's all of these power stones going around and also some ramp creatures. So what do you do with all that mana? Well, you cast Rescoliath. Rescoliath costs 10 mana for a common artifact creature. I don't know if we've ever seen a 10-mana creature at common before. Um, maybe it's existed, but I don't think so. Editor's note, it hasn't. Um, anyways, Rescoliath costs 10 for a 10-10 Reach Trample. It does have prototype for 3 green green, and you get a 3-5 that way. So either a 5-mana 3-5 Reach Trample or a 10-mana 10-10 Reach Trample. That is something worth ramping out. So you can see, like, green is all in on getting these Power Stones, all in on just a ton of mana and you get paid off for it in this set so that's pretty cool and combining that with these other colors where you're getting the power stones and ramping to those big things is going to be i think a powerful thing you can do all right so just to review um really quick white is soldiers artifact aggression unearth blue is soldiers power stone creation and the draw two cards spells matter black is removal creatures and graveyard and then Artifact Creature Sacrifice. Red is Artifacts, kind of Sacrifice 2. Unearth, Aggression. Green cares about Self Mill and Creatures in your Graveyard. And then Ramping Out Giant Creatures.
To round things out here, I just want to briefly touch on the colorless artifacts because this is an artifact set. But a lot of the good artifacts are the ones I was talking about where they have a color associated with them. So like the Rust Goliath that, that has prototype, which you have to be in a specific color to be able to prototype it out. There are the colorless artifacts, but I'd like to think of them more as like a supporting cast because the power is more in those colored artifacts instead. So what do I talk about? What do I mean by like support? So an example of a support artifact would be stone retrieval unit. It's four colorless mana for a common artifact creature. It's a two, three. And it says when stone retrieval unit enters the battlefield, create a tap power stone token. So four mana, a little bit on the expensive side for a two, three, but it does give you a power stone right away. So that's like the perfect example of a way to support the rest of your plans like if you can use those power stones it's an artifact maybe you can sacrifice it or use sacrifice the power stone there's just a lot you can do with that card but at the end of the day not super powerful but uh it can contribute to your your overall game plan okay next up what we're going to do we're going to look at the top five commons in each color ranked what i've done is sort of look through think through really evaluate these cards Obviously, my list is not going to be perfect. No one's list is ever perfect at the beginning of the format. But I'll hopefully just give you an idea what to look for these early days of the format, and we'll adjust as we go. So first up in white, my number one is Prison Sentence. Prison Sentence is two and a white for an enchantment aura. It enchants a creature, and when Prison Sentence enters the battlefield, you scry two. The enchanted creature can't attack, block, and its activated abilities can't be activated. So it's like Arrest with scry two attached. And that's really, really good. Now, putting it at number one is kind of a bold statement because I think these pacifism type effects, these lockdown auras, tend to actually be a lot worse than they look, especially when you could bounce you know, the creature out from under that. You could sacrifice it for value. You could get rid of the enchantment itself. All of those are downsides that exist in this format. That being said, this format has 10 mana 10 tens at common. So I think you're going to be interested in picking up removal. And the rate on this card is just so good. I think the Scry 2 is also obviously really good. I do want to note, Scry 2 is a lot better when your deck is lower to the ground. Because if you are interested in getting, you know, to 7, 8, 9 mana with these big prototype cards, Scry 2 is actually a lot worse there because you kind of want lands and spells. Uh, and obviously at certain times you would ha- rather get one than the other, but you're going to need both. You're going to need mana to be able to power out the expensive cards. In addition, like the more expensive unearth type stuffs in your deck, the worse the scry two is, but it also just is great in terms of that flood insurance or helping you to find, you know, the lands you do need. Like if, if you kept a three lander with prison sentence, it can help you find your fourth and fifth lands. So I think the card's just super powerful and that's why it's my number one. I think you'll be happy playing this card. My number two is Power Stone Engineer. It's one in a white for a creature, human artificer, um, not a soldier. It's a two one. And when Power Stone Engineer dies, create a tap Power Stone token. So the reason I have this as my number two, there's nothing that fancy about this card, but a two mana two one, it's just going to attack them, deal them some damage, and then you're going to get a power stone token out of it. I kind of think of it like a worse Guild Sworn Prowler, which was that two one death touch in black from uh, Alchemy Horizons Baldur's Gate. That card was absurd because it was a two one death touch that when it died, when it was attacking, you drew a card. 
Now, I don't think Power Stone Token there is like, it's, it's probably almost like drawing a card if you can ramp things out and use it. But obviously, this is not a 2-1 Death Touch. It's just a 2-1. That being said, you're happy if it trades for basically anything. You get your Power Stone, you start ramping it out. And if your opponent's afraid of the Power Stone initially, they're just going to keep taking 2 until they find something that can stop it. Now, a 2-1's not going to attack through like their 2-3 once they played it. So the Power Stone Engineer is probably going to drop off. So you probably want ways to think about that problem. Um, like maybe ways to attack through if your opponent plays a bigger creature. Or if you're a little bit more defensive with it, then you can always block with the 2-1 to get your Power Stone. That being said, White's pretty aggressive, I think. But maybe if you're more of like a Skies deck, um, you're planning to win in the air, then your opponent has to attack into your Power Stone Engineers on the ground. That might be uh, an incentive. So kind of just think about that problem. Like, what what do I do with my Power Stone Engineer when my opponent just plays a 2-3? Because otherwise, like, you can't attack with it, so you're not going to get your Power Stone token. And it's just going to kind of sit there. That being said... It's a two drop. So like how much do you really need from your two drop? And if you like really needed your power stone token, you could also just like attack your creature into theirs. I don't recommend that a lot of time, but there's also some interesting bluff potential where your opponent might be like, why are they attacking their two one into my two three? Like, do they have a trick? And they have to weigh that versus like what's going on. They might usually just going to block, but maybe you just really need the power stone. So it's kind of a, some interesting play patterns with the power stone engineer as well that will emerge with the format. All right, number three, Airlift Chaplain is two and a white for an, a human cleric. So again, not a soldier. It has flying and it's a one one. But when Airlift Chaplain enters the battlefield, mill three cards. You may put a planes card or a creature card with mana value three or less from among the cards milled this way into your hand. If you don't, put a plus one plus one counter on Airlift Chaplain. So I think the nice thing about the Chaplain is getting a planes or a cheap creature, that's going to be a big chunk of most of your white decks. Even if you're playing that three mana four four that we talked about earlier, like it's a three mana creature that kind of plays like a more expensive card. So you probably can build your white decks in ways where you have more of those mana values three or less. I guess I should add that also to one of white's themes. It's a pretty small sub theme, I would say compared to the other things, but um, small things mattering is something going on in the set too. We'll just see how much. With the Airlift Chaplain, the nice thing is that most of the time it's going to be that two-for-one body. It kind of looks like, you know, Sky Scanner, which is a three-colorless artifact creature, 1-1, one, one, um, that has flying and draws a card when it comes into play. This Airlift Chaplain is kind of like that card, but sometimes later in the game, you don't... Like, if you flip a bunch of planes, you might not want to take the planes. You might just want the 2-2, two, two, right? Like, sometimes later in the game, you just want your wind drink. But anytime you find like a three mana creature, you're probably going to take that. So I like that it gives some selection. It helps you find your lands early on, helps you find more action. I think Airlift Chaplain is just excellent. And time will tell. I mean, I put it as, as my number three, but it might be better than the Power Stone Engineer. We'll find out. Um, but pretty good card. Next up we have at number four, kind of hot take here. I put Disenchant. One and white for an instant, destroy target artifact or enchantment. This is a way, way throwback. Disenchant uh, has been around since the dawn of time, but it's coming back. The reason I think number four is that, again, there's going to be big artifacts. There's a decent number of enchantments that seem to matter. Like, if it's true that Prison Sentence ends up being number one in white, if that's the best common, then having Disenchant in your deck to be able to combat that is a powerful thing to do. It'll often find a target. The question is, 
are you often going to find like those big prototype cards? Is Disenchant going to find like a really, really high value target? And I think the answer most of the time actually is going to be yes. So the difference, whether this is like an all-star card, like Destroy Evil um, was in Dominaria United, or just like it's not that good, um, is going to be just how often Disenchant's going to get a giant mana advantage and also find something that you want to kill. Because if it's just rotting in your hand, that's a problem too. But I think Disenchant's going to be good. I think you always want to play your first one that you draft um, in white. And maybe if it's super good, like we'll see, maybe you want multiples. I don't know. I, I think probably you just want the one because while there are a bunch of artifacts, like there's still a bunch of non-artifacts as well. But time will tell. Next up, we have Scrapwork Cohort which is number five. I've read it before, but as a reminder, it's four mana for that artifact creature. This is a soldier. It's a 3-1. When Scrapwork Cohort enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 colorless soldier artifact creature token. It also has Unearth 2 and a white. So basically, it's this four mana 3-1. It comes along with a buddy. Now you can trade off the 3-1. You could use the 1-1 the somehow. Bring back the 3-1 with the Unearth. Maybe pair it with a Sacrifice Outlet or honestly just attack, right? Like you're going to trade down with your 4-mana 3-1 a lot, but you get to attack with it again. Those 1-1 Soldier Tokens are going to add up. So I think that is going to be a card that more, more often than not, you're probably happy to put in your deck. Those are my top five in white. Number one, Prison Sentence. That's the Arrest Aura. Number two, Power Stone Engineer. The 2-1 that dies into the Power Stone. Number three, Airlift Chaplain, the three-mana 1-1 one, one flyer, but can get you another card or a counter. Number four, Disenchant, Destroy Tucker Artifact or Enchantment. And number five, Scrapwork Cohort, the four-mana 3-1 with Unearth. Moving on to blue, number one, I've got Weak Stone Subjugation. Weak Stone Subjugation is blue for an aura. Enchant Artifact or Creature. Enchanted Permanent doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. So it's kind of nice. They have a tap thing. You just put it on it. But it also has, when Weak Stone's Subjugation enters the battlefield, you may pay three. If you do, tap Enchanted Permanent. So what I like about Weak Stone's Subjugation is that it kind of gives you the best of both worlds, where if their creature is already tapped because, you know, they've been using it, then you just pop this down for a single blue mana. You might even be able to, you know, very likely you can double spell on that turn that you do that. Like turn four or five, you play this plus you know, another three or four drop. But if they play like a, a nice, good six mana threat or whatever, then you can just spend the full four mana on the weak stone subjugation, tap it down, and then it doesn't untap and you can keep on going your merry way. So I think just the flexibility and the power is there on this card. I think it's going to be quite good. And uh, I think it's a card that definitely going to be interested in. All right, number two is Wing Commando. Wing Commando is a pretty simple card. It costs two and a blue for a 2-2 flying prowess, and it is a human soldier. So the thing about I like about Wing Commando is that if soldiers are a thing, then it's a nice wind drake with upside, and it can get bonuses from your soldiers in blue-white. Also, it has prowess, so it plays well into the kind of blue-red spells matter theme, and it's just a pretty good aggressive card. 2-2 flyer for three is always going to be pretty good. The... 2-3 Drake that was in Dominator United, it wasn't that much better than having a 2-2, right? Having that third toughness, yeah, it was nice. It kept it alive from, you know, Flowstone Infusion, which could have killed it otherwise. 
But really, what matters on your three mana flying creature is the two power. Because there's not going to be a lot of other flying creatures at that time. So the difference between like a 2-1 flyer, 2-2 flyer, 2-3 flyer, it's obviously different, but like not hugely different. But what gets interesting is the prowess changes the power on that flyer. So I think prowess is like a huge upgrade over a third toughness. So I'm pretty excited to see what Wing Commander can do. Obviously, it gets hit pretty hard with that two toughness from like Disfigure, for example, which could kill it. We'll get more on that later. But uh, yeah, I think Wing Commander, like pretty solid card. Uh, I don't know if it deserves this number two spot. Like that's pretty high praise. But I think it's just going to do a lot. And uh, it fits into a bunch of different archetypes. So I'm excited to uh, test it out. Number three is Coilless Rock. It's four and a blue for a 3-3 Flash Flying Bird. Not a soldier. And when Coilless Rock enters the battlefield, create a tapped Power Stone token. I think this card's just great on rate. I think four and a blue for a 3-3 Flash. Uh, flying is like, it's a little overcosted, but it's kind of what you expect to pay for those stats. And getting to attach a Power Stone token to that means you're just going to be able to ramp to your big stuff that much sooner. I can imagine situations where on turn five or six, you just either play this in combat, hope to eat something, or you just end up turn it to apply some pressure. And then that Power Stone token is going to immediately untap on your turn, and you're going to be able to ramp something really, really meaningful out, like something with seven or eight mana at that point. So I think Coilers Rock just is a nice bridging piece to this game plan. And again, like blue, just creating these art, all these power stones, uh, they just scale well together. Cause if you just have enough things that keep making power stones, you can use all those power stones to make something huge. So I'm in for a Coilos rock. Number four is might stones animation three and a blue for an aura and an enchants an artifact. When might stones animation enters the battlefield, draw a card. So that's pretty nice. Enchanted artifact is a creature with base power and toughness four, four, in addition to its other types. So you turn your power stone or like your junky artifact into a 4-4 and just start slamming. You know, if you play this on curve, if you get like a power stone on turn two or three off something, you could even just like hit immediately on turn four with this, get your card, hit them, and and like your opponent's just massively behind at that point. So as long as you like time out when you're going to play this, um, your opponent, again, has to deal with this. Because you get your card back, there's such a low investment into it other than your initial mana that the might stones of animation like kind of way above rate right for blue sometimes like if you weren't going to use that power stone for other things this is just like four four draw a card for four which is crazy so it might even be better than number four like it might be number two or three time will tell but i think this one is one to watch out for Rounding out the corner, number five is a Machine Over Matter, which is one in a blue for an instant. You can return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, so a nice little bounce spell for two mana. But it also has this spell cost one less to cast if you control an artifact creature. So it could be a single blue to return anything, so like an upgraded unsummon. And uh, I think just that cheap interaction, we've seen that that tends to just be a good card. You're usually just happy to play one in most of your blue decks unless you're really controlling. But these bounce spells are great ways to blow out combat tricks. But also, if we're seeing that blue and white each have a premium aura that locks down a creature, Machine Over Matter gets a little bit of bump from that too, right? Where if you're able to bounce back your really powerful card to your hand, then you're able to replay that. 
So you can mess up with combat tricks, save creatures from removal, clear the way, get your creatures back from under those auras. I think, so Machine Over Matter, like, I think you're always going to be happy with the first one. The card does, it's the type of card that tends to get worse the more of them you have, because you are basically playing cards just for tempo. Um, But sometimes if a format really rewards that tempo play, and this one might be one of those, because... Like, you could literally gain, like, 9 mana off of this if you're bouncing a 10 mana 10-10. Machine Over Matter definitely has a lot of potential here for that. Okay, so to review in blue, my number one was Weakstone Subjugation. That's the aura that taps things down. Number two was Wing Commando, the 2-2 Flying Prowess. Number three was the Coilos Rock, the 5 mana 3-3 Flash Flying Bird that makes a Power Stone. Number four was the Mightstone's animation, the 4 mana make a 4-4 for your artifact and draw a card. And number five, Machine Over Matter, the bounce spell for two or one mana, depending. Next up is black. If we look at our top five commons in black, number one, Overwhelming Remorse. I read it earlier, but it's the four and a black instant. XL target creature or planeswalker and costs one less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard. Probably not a surprise that it's my number one. I think just the rate on this card is really, really, really good for a common. Comparing it to Murderous Cut, which was that four and a black devil spell from Cons of Tarkir way back when, anytime you can have a one mana removal spell, it plays like just a premium card, like a card you're very happy to first pick and have in your deck. You're going to get that sometimes with this card, especially as the game goes on. And this card doesn't even remove the creature cards from your graveyard. So once you reduce its cost, all the overwhelming remorses in your deck cost less. So I think it's just going to be a card you're going to be happy with. You're going to be happy with multiples. You're going to play them. It's just always going to be very, very good. So not much to say about this card other than it's just a really, really good removal spell. XL also matters because there's Unearth um, in the set. So yeah, uh, you should probably be first picking a lot of overwhelming remorses. Number two is Ravenous Gigamol. It's three and a black for a two, three mole horror. And when Ravenous Gigamole enters the battlefield, mill three cards. You may put a creature card from among the cards milled this way into your hand. If you don't, put a plus one plus one counter on Ravenous Gigamole. So this is the one in that cycle, the self-mill, plus one plus one counters. I think most of that cycle is just good, but you know, some are better than others. I think this one's quite good because a four mana two three, the stats like a two three is a real card. Now, obviously you're overpaying for a four mana two three, but if you ever get a creature card from that, then two, four mana two three draw a creature card is way above rate actually. And if you do miss, like a three four is below rate for a four mana card, but you know at least it still impacts the board. Like a four mana three four you can work with, but I think uh, all it asks of you is to play creatures in your deck. And it also like if you hit multiple creatures, you return one of them. Like it also fuels your graveyard. So I can imagine like you know a bunch of creatures with ravenous gigamole. It's fueling your overwhelming remorses because when it dies, then it's putting cards, creatures in your graveyard. The milling might put creatures in your graveyard. So all of that, you know, self-mill creatures in your yard just works so well together. So that's why Ravenous Gigamole is my number two. My number three is Emergency Weld. It's one in a black for a sorcery. And it says return target artifact or creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Create a 1-1 colorless soldier artifact creature token. The reason I think this is great is that it's kind of a 2-mana 1-1 gravedigger. So anytime you get a body attached to your raised dead effect, super powerful. 
you can use that one one that comes along with it for a lot of different things right you get it you can block with it to trade with like opposing two ones or three ones it can help double blocks you can sacrifice it but also it just works so well with ravenous gigamole that i'm excited about this combo because if you trade off the ravenous gigamole you get it back then you play it again then it mills more then you can um, pick those up also if you happen to mill multiple good cards with your like green black self mill deck emergency world can pick up whatever you need at that point i can imagine these self mill decks where you're just dumping cards into your graveyard and you have the emergency world in hand and you're like over time you're essentially tutoring for the card you want because the more cards you put in your graveyard it's basically like drawing those cards if you're able to just return what you want when you want it so uh, yeah i think emergency world definitely a good card excited to play with it they probably had to make it not be a creature because that would just be too synergistic with both with itself and with the creature theme in black. So the, the fact that it's a sorcery kind of tells you something here. All right, number four, and like the fact that it's number four tells you how good black is, is Disfigure costs single black mana for an instant. Target creature gets minus two, minus two until in a turn. Super simple card, but Disfigure historically just always has been good. You know, it kills the small things you want to kill early, can sometimes, you know, you might spend a single mana to kill a 3-2. So, like, that's a huge mana advantage. In combat, you know, especially if you're attacking, you can just shrink your opponent's blocker so you can win combats that way. A lot of the best utility creatures later on, like small creatures, it might be able to snipe those. So, again, you get a huge mana advantage. It is, again, the type of card that tends to drop off the more of them you have because it's really effective at killing early things, but less so the big things. That being said... If you're aggressive enough with it, then in your opponent's forced to block a lot, Disfigure can still play a role where they have to block like their 4-4 into your 3-3, and then Disfigure still has value there. That being said, I don't think that's even that great because A, your creature has to get blocked, so in your aggressive decks you're not dealing damage, and B, it doesn't always work, right? So I think you can go overboard with having like too many Disfigures, and in the problem is with the control decks, like you love Disfigure, you could probably play a couple, but you don't have as many options for interacting in combat as much as you would like, or you have to do it defensively, so your opponent can kind of blow you out in those situations, unless you have creatures that your opponent like wants to attack into and you can do post-combat. So like Disfigure in controlling decks is a little better if you have a bunch of like three fives, for example, because let's say your opponent attacks with two four fours. You block your 3-5 on their 4-4, you take 4, then after damage, you can disfigure the 4-4 that had damage on it, and it kills it that way. So kind of these like medium power, high toughness creatures are are quite good with disfigure on defense for those reasons. Um, But again, don't go overboard. I think usually the first one or two disfigure is going to be good in most black decks. And then number 5, again, just all the removal, is Power Stone Fracture. One in a black for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast a spell, sacrifice an artifact or a creature, destroy target creature or planeswalker. You probably don't want to play many of these because you do have to sacrifice your board, but two mana to kill anything is pretty nice. It's kind of like bone splinters, and sometimes you're going to want to sacrifice things because there's payoffs for sacrificing in black and in other colors too. So I think, you know, if you didn't pick up enough of the overwhelming remorses because again it's going to be you know a first pick a lot of the time power stone fracture i think can get there in a pinch and the more fodder you have i think the more power stone fractures that you can play i honestly i'm more interested in the sacking creature component than maybe the artifact but just because i think 
there's going to be more synergies with that in black. But the fact that you could just sacrifice a power stone to kill anything is also pretty nice. So it'll kind of depend on the, the board state and the situation. And the fact that it gives you that flexibility is, is pretty fantastic. So reviewing black, number one, we had Overwhelming Remorse, the five mana exile target creature um, or Planeswalker that gets cheaper for each creature in your graveyard. Number two, we had Ravenous Gigamol, the four mana two, three that mills three and you can put a creature into your hand. Um, number three, we had Emergency Weld, the two mana Gravedigger spell that gives you a one, one. Number four, we had Disfigure, the minus two, minus two instant. And number five, we had Power Stone Fracture, the one in black, kill anything if you sacrifice an artifact or creature. Next up, we have red. So our top five in red, number one, we have Excavation Explosion. Two in red for a sorcery. Excavation Explosion deals three damage to any target. Create a tap Power Stone token. So just the rate on this card is very insane. Three three mana, three damage, like that always is going to be good. Basically, you can't have too many of those because... Killing, dealing three damage is going to kill a lot of the things. And then just stapling a Power Stone token. Again, you're going to ramp ahead of time. Um, you're going to get past where you should be in that stage of the game. You start powering up five mana, six mana plays before you're supposed to be able to. You know, anytime you kill your opponent's three mana play with Excavation Explosion, um, you basically steal the tempo back from them if you were on the draw. So only this puts you ahead. If you're on the play on turn three and you kill their two drop with this, and then next turn you play a five mana spell, like a five-mana artifact, your opponent's just going to feel horrible. You're just massively ahead at that point. So I think Excavation Explosion is just really, really good. Again, I don't think you can really have too many of them. And uh, beyond just adding a Power Stone, it kind of combos with all the different colors, right? Like in red-black, you have the Power Stone to sacrifice. Um, In red-green, you have big things you might want to power out in terms of ramping towards and in red blue it's a nice spell for your spells and matters so really just an excellent card number two is i i think an interesting take i put scrapwork muck i think this is going to be a card people overlook so it's two mana for a two one artifact creature dog so not a dog soldier <laughs> when scrapwork mutt enters the battlefield you may discard a card if you do draw a card and it has unearth for one and a red I think these types of creatures that smooth your draws early on and also can get rid of lands later are just often overlooked. Goblin Picker, the the 2-2 that could rummage in Dominar United, ended up being a pretty good red common, but always went late because people just don't see the value of like those cheap cards that help smooth out your draws. It helps you win the game, but in subtle ways. So the fact that Scrapwork Mutt can come down, help you hit land drops by discarding spells, or help you get rid of land drops and draw into action to curve out better, it kind of does it all in terms of that. And not only that, you know, it's a board piece you can trade with, and then later, whenever you can attack with it, you just unearth it wherever there's an opening, and then you just get to rummage again. So it's gonna it does a lot for your two-mana common. And so I think, like, it's not... It's not rawly powerful in the traditional sense where it's like, ah, stats, yes. But I think it just does enough small things and they're all quite good together that it's going to always, I think, perform above expectations. So I think Scrapwork Mutt, it might go underlooked early on, but I do think it's a good card. The only thing I think might be holding it back is if there's a ton of 1-1 soldiers lying around, then your 2-1s will trade down in this format. So that might be generally true across the board. If that's true, I think all X1s get a little bit worse if there's enough 1-1 soldier creatures lying around. 
So maybe Scrapbrook Mutt gets dinged a little bit for that. But even so, I think like the fact that over time you get the two rummages and maybe some damage, it's just a pretty decent card. And you got to put two drops in your deck, so you could do a lot worse. Number three, I put Blitz Automaton. It's a seven mana six for artifact creature with haste, but you can prototype it for two and a red, and then it's a three two haste. Again, I think the modality on these prototype cards are going to be overlooked initially, but both modes I think on this card are quite good. Um, three mana for three two haste, you're just attacking. Seven mana six four, like again, you have to like I was talking about earlier. You just have to respect that this card exists in the format. Six power is just a lot. So if your opponent ever just attacks you and doesn't play a follow-up creature, you can just slam the Blitz Automaton on seven and hit him for six. So it can help swing races, and both modes of cards are quite good. It also is the type of thing where, like, you know, if you didn't draw your Excavation Explosion early on to, like, kill something and get the Power Stone, then you could just play the 3-2 instead. But if you did draw your Excavation Explosion, you can kill something, and then you're really close after a couple more turns to just playing your 7-drop and hitting with a 6-4. So it plays nicely, like that modality, just depending on your actual curve and like the way the game's going. You don't necessarily have to have a plan for either one. And I think, unlike some of the prototype cards, there's some that like really pay you off for waiting. Blitz Automaton's not really one of those cards. Like It's just good in both halves, but neither half is like, wow, like my mind is blown. It's just like pretty good overall. Okay, number four, another one that might be kind of a hot take. But number four, I put Whirling Strike. It's one in a red for an instant. Pretty simple card. Target creature gets plus two, plus O, and gains first strike and trample until in a turn. The reason I put this is I think efficient combat tricks just allow your aggressive decks to continue to attack, 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 attack. When you don't have efficient combat tricks in your decks when you're trying to attack, your opponent, again, just plays like a 2-3, and it blinks all your 2-1s. Um, so it's not a place you want to be, and being able to just attack with everything all the time, it's going to turn your creatures into removal because your opponent's going to block them, right? If your opponent's behind, they have to play into your combat tricks. This one's really good because not only does it help you win the combat, but that trample adds to the damage you're trying to trade resources for. Like, your aggressive decks just want to trade resources for damage, and so this does that nicely. And it has the added upside that sometimes you're just going to have like a 6-6 creature and your opponent's going to go to block it and then you're going to first strike and trample and deal them a ton of damage. Or like, for example, imagine you had that Blitz Automaton. You're attacking with a 6-4 haste. You know, your opponent blocks with a 4-4 thinking like, okay, good, I got this out of play finally. You whirling strike your thing, deal them 4 damage to the face. Your 6-4 is still alive. Like, it's going to be really hard for your opponent to come back from that. That's why Whirling Strike is my number four. Number five in red is Tomacool Scrapsmith. It's the red one in the mill cycle. So this one is two in a red for a 2-1 human artificer. And when Tomacool Scrapsmith enters the battlefield, mill three, you may put an artifact card from among the cards milled this way into your hand if you don't put a plus one plus one counter on Tomacool Scrapsmith. This one I'm a little lower on than the other ones of this cycle, Again, I think they all kind of have a place. Like this and the blue one, I think, are the most iffy. That being said, if you have enough artifacts, then this is going to be solid because it helps you find those unearthed creatures that you might be wanting to build towards. And also, having extra pieces in your deck helps the go-wide strategies in red and aggression and getting enough artifacts for like your sacrifice pieces. 
So the more you care about the mill, like I think this card is much better, for example, in red black, because the mill helps benefit that graveyard theme, but also maybe red green. As long as you have enough artifacts and you care about all pieces of this card, it's good. And worst case scenario, again, a three mana three, two, like that's still a piece of cardboard. That's a, a card that you'll put in decks. Um, like as a fail case, that's pretty good. Like obviously you want the three mana two, one draw card, but that's going to happen somewhere on at the time. And so for that reason, I think it still deserves the number five slot for red. So to review in red, what do we have? Number one, we had excavation explosion, the three mana deal three that makes a power stone token. Number two was scrapwork mutt, the two mana two one that rummages and you can unearth. Number three was the blitz automaton, the seven mana six four haste that has prototype for two and a red, and it comes in as a three two. Number four, we had whirling strike, which was two mana for the plus two plus o first strike and trample. And number five was the three mana two one that mills and tries to hit an artifact that you can draw okay our final color here for our commons is green ranking our top five number one is argothian opportunist it's two and a green for a three two when argothian opportunist enters the battlefield create a tapped power stone token a three mana three two that's a card you can play but again the fact that you get a tap power stone token when it comes into play just makes this card amazing it's like a three two ramp creature like um, we used to pay three mana for like a one, one that would go get a land. As long as you're using the power stone for that mana, then you're getting, instead of a one, one, you're getting a three mana three, two. Um, so it's going to trade and then it's going to leave basically like a power stone, like a land behind. Um, and that's really, really good. The first time I read this card, I thought actually you got the power stone when it died, which honestly seems a little more fair. <laughs> and the fact that you get it right away is just like pretty absurd. So I think... Yeah, I think this is like a pretty clear number one in green. There are other good cards as well. My number two and three, I'm not sure on. I might change my mind on these later on. But I feel like there's so much ramp, you have to use all these Power Stone tokens. If you're not using the ramp, then it's not very good. So that's why I put number two is Rust Goliath. It's that 10 mana, 10, 10 reach trample. Um, and it has prototype for three green, green. So you get either a 10 mana, 10, 10 reach trample or a five mana three five reach trample pretty simple card but i think going to be very effective the times where you know you power out your 10 mana 10 10 it just dies is going to feel pretty bad but the times where that doesn't happen your opponent's going to die pretty fast so if they don't have the answer immediately for the rust goliath then uh they're going to be in trouble and so i think this is definitely a card that you can build towards and the fact that you have like the fail case of a five mana three five reach trample, three five is like pretty tough to brawl through. So I can see this like definitely holding down the fort, especially if you like, let's say you have multiple Rust Goliaths in your deck. It's not even that bad because normally like you don't want to put a 10 mana card in your deck because you can't cast it. But the fact that you can have this five mana mode, which is like at least halfway decent, goes a long way. So that's why it's my number two. But I wasn't sure. Number three, I think, is also an amazing card. Number three is Epic Confrontation. One and a green for a sorcery. And target creature you control gets plus one, plus two until in a turn. It fights target creature you don't control. So we've seen this card before. I think it was in Dragons of Tarkir way back in the day. I think it was like the Dragon Punch was the idea. Call back to Sarkin. But I think this time around, Epic Confrontation is going to be even better because green has these giant creatures. So green 
seems to outsize everything else pretty handedly. So I think you're just going to win most of the fights anyways. And the fact that you get the power and toughness boost means Epic Confrontation is just going to get there most of the time. It's going to kill what you want to kill. Your creature is going to survive the fight and you get to attack with everything else as well. So it's like a huge tempo swing and also gets rid of what you need to get rid of. Again, on fight spells, you need to be a little careful of the timing. The fact that this exists, again, maybe makes the blue bounce spell a little better in the format. Because if there's a bunch of good fight spells, that's just another thing that that bounce spell can blow out. Um, So maybe that one I ranked too low, but time will tell. Anyways, Epic Confrontation is definitely a great card. Number four, again, we're talking ramp, is Boulder Branch Golem. Seven mana for a 6-5. When Boulder Branch Golem enters the battlefield, you gain life equal to its power. So a seven mana 6-5 that gains you six. But, you guessed it, it has prototype for three and a green and comes in as a 3-3. So it's a three and a green 3-3 that gains you three or seven mana 6-5 that gains you six. I think both those modes are quite good. You're going to put those in your deck. You're going to be happy with it. The fact that it's only the number four, like my rank number four green common, I think green is super deep and super powerful this time around. Like comparing this card to Hill Giant Herd Gorger, you have to pay, overpay a little bit because it's a seven mana six five instead of a six mana seven six. But you get more life with the Boulder Branch Golem and you have the four mana mode. I think you basically like, you can't really have too many of this card. A three and a green three three that gained you three life is already like a decent card on its own. And a seven mana six five that gains you six is also a decent card on its own. The fact that you get that split card is just so powerful. And I think that's true of a lot of these prototype cards. You're really not overpaying very much for either half. Some of them you are like more so than others. And those ones like I didn't list in my top five comments. So, you know, if they're not listed here, maybe the rate's a little bit worse. But even so, like all of them are playable and the modality on the cards is just so good. So you're going to want to pick prototype creatures early and often. And then rounding out the pack in green, number five. Yep, it made the cut. It's the mill cycle. So this one is Blanchwood Prowler. It's one in a green for a 1-1 elemental. When Branchwood Prowler enters the battlefield, mill three cards. You may put a land card from among the cards milled this way into your hand if you don't put a plus one plus one counter on Blanchwood Prowler. So this one's kind of interesting. A two mana two two is not a horrible fail case. Like that rumbles, that that attacks and blocks. But really like a two mana one one that gets you a land is a really nice card because it's a speed bump. Again, like if there's a lot of two ones running around, a one one that draws you a card is a very, very impactful card because your opponent just can't attack with their two ones profitably. And then in addition, green has a sub-theme about caring about creatures in your graveyard. So the mill is really nice there. I really like this green-black mill package that I'm seeing. So Blanchwood Prowler definitely gets the seal of approval there. So in review, in green, number one, Argothian Opportunist. The three mana, three, two makes a power stone when it comes into play. Number two, Rusk Goliath, the 10 mana, 10, 10, reach trample, prototype five mana for a three, five. Number three, Epic Confrontation is the two mana fight spell number four is the boulder branch golem the seven mana six five that gains you six life or prototypes for four mana for a three three blanchwood prowler is the two mana one one that hopefully draws your land if it doesn't it gets a counter all right before we wrap up the end of our our tale here with all these commons that i can't wait to play with the set looks awesome i'm going to talk about the top two uncommons in every color so starting off in white 
My number one is Static Net. It's three and a white for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent opponent controls until Static Net leaves the battlefield. When Static Net enters the battlefield, you gain two life and create a tapped Power Stone token. So this is basically Prayer Binding, but you trade Flash for a Power Stone token. And Flash was pretty nice because uh, what Prayer of Binding let you do in Dominar United was your opponent went for their pump spell, you flashed in Prayer of Binding, you ate their creature plus their pump spell. So you could set up a two-for-one. What Static Net does is it takes their threat away and you get a Power Stone. So it's basically always a two-for-one. So you don't even have to work for your two-for-one with it, which is pretty nice. Big fan of Static Net. Again, it isn't white, so I think you have to work a little harder to make the Power Stones matter. I think white uses Power Stones kind of the worst of every color. That being said, it's still a a free piece of cardboard that you're going to be able to use. So it's very, very strong. Number two is Combat Thresher. Um, It's a seven mana, three, three, double strike. It's the one we talked about earlier. When Combat Thresher enters the battlefield, draw a card. And has Prototype 2 and white for the 1-1 version. Again, I'm just really high on Prototype. I think a 3-mana 1-1 Double Strike draw card is a pretty decent card, especially if you compare it with Combat Tricks. Uh, White itself doesn't have, like, the best ways to pump. But, um, for example, you know, Giant Gross in this format in green. So I can imagine, like, if you Giant Gross this, suddenly you're dealing with 8 damage. There, There are good Combat Tricks in the format. So you can make the 1-1 matter. And then if you ever get the 7-mana mode, like a 3-3 double strike, you don't have to do anything to make that card good. And the fact that it replaces itself with the draw card, like, you're just always going to be happy with Combat Thresher in your deck. And it's a very, very premium uncommon for that reason. All right, in blue, number one, I put Urza Power Stone Prodigy. It's two and a blue for a legendary creature, Human Artificer. It's a 1-3. Urza has Vigilance. And also one tap, draw a card, then discard a card. And whenever you discard one or more artifact cards, create a tapped Power Stone token. This ability triggers only once each turn. So Urza is my number one. I do want to say that it's a little worse than it reads because it sort of seems like, wow, I'm going to be getting Power Stone tokens all the time. But discarding artifact cards does have a real cost to it most of the time. Now, there are synergy pieces in the set, there's like cards you can recur over and over again. Um, there are cards with Unearth. So there are ways so that discarding artifacts is less bad for you. So you can definitely get Power Stone tokens that way. But you have to build and draft with that in mind. I don't think you can just shove Urza in a deck and think, wow, I'm going to get all these Power Stone tokens. Like you do have to work for a little bit. That said, I think looters are just historically great. And so the fact that Urza is a looter, it's pretty cheap to use. And has that upside of giving you Power Stones is very nice. So um, just be aware of that and try to draft some of those synergy pieces to make Urza um, the best it can be. Because I think, again, if you just put it into a deck and it doesn't synergize very well, like you don't have combos with it, then it's probably not going to be worthy of being like the number one blue uncommon. Number two is Spotter Thopter. It's eight mana for an artifact creature Thopter. And it's a 4-5 flyer. When Spotter Thopter enters the battlefield, scry X, where X is a power. But it also has prototype 3 and a blue for a 2-3 version. So it's 8 mana for a 4-5 flying, scry 4. Or 4 mana for a 2-3 flying, scry 2. I think both those modes, again, are great. I've talked about how prototype is so flexible. 2-3 flyer for 4 is a little bit overcosted. 
So I think that rate is a little bit worse than some of the others. But again, like Scry 2 at that point of the game is quite good. So maybe it's not even that overcosted. I think the sweet spot's sort of like three and a half mana rather than four, but you can't cost something three and a half. So you're not really overpaying that much for this card. And then the fact that you get this eight mana version is pretty sweet. So the eight mana four or five flyer, scry four, like not only is the four or five flyer going to end the game quickly, but the fact that you're going to get another couple cards to really just like go off is fantastic. And it's this really big expensive card. So you know you can play other big expensive cards. So it might be able to chain into other big expensive cards. If you think back to Neon Dynasty, that is why Imperial Oath was so good. Because Imperial Oath, you got to six mana and it put all this board presence into play. And then the fact that you got to scry three on top of that meant that you could find more Imperial Oaths, you could find other really expensive cards and just like go from there. So Spider kind of fills that role too. Um, and that's probably why it's uncommon. Because I like if you just started chaining Spider Thopters into each other, like that that might be too much. So yeah, this card's really, really good. In black, so black, again, like all the cards are just really, really excellent. So it was kind of hard to pick, but I think this one's a bit of a hot take. My number one black uncommon is Battlefield Butcher. So Battlefield Butcher is two and a black for a 1-4 human soldier. I guess soldier in black. I don't know if that matters. It has, but it has an activated ability. Five and tap, each opponent loses two life. This ability costs one less to activate for each creature card in your graveyard. So again, it cares about like fueling your graveyard, that self-mill, um, comboing with some of the other cards we talked about. But um, kind of reminds me of Joda's Codex, where Joda's Codex was that late game card that just like ran away with the game and snowballed. You know, I think drawing a card is more impactful than losing two life, but a Battlefield Butcher is a three mana one four. So like it's a relevant game piece in itself, like on the board. And if you, instead of thinking about like domain to lower its cost, if you build in a way where you're getting creatures in your graveyard, if you can get this to be like one, two mana, tap it, sometimes free, where every turn your opponent's losing life, like they can't just keep losing life. It's going to kill them pretty quickly. So it buys you the time to trade off the creatures you need to or set up your engines you need to. And then whenever you find an opening with a couple mana and eventually for, for free, your opponent's just going to start losing two life a turn. So... I think Battlefield Butcher is going to be a really premium card. Your opponent basically has to deal with it. Uh, otherwise, it's just going to win the game for you. So uh, that's why it's my number one. Number two, I had uh, some choices, but I ended up going with Go for the Throat. Um, it's one in a black for an instant. It's a reprint. Uh, destroy target non-artifact creature. I think, yeah, there's a bunch of big artifacts in the set, but it's just going to kill enough that matters and so efficiently that... Uh, it's just going to be good. The The one thing I think is going to be important to look for with Go for the Throat, if in fact Overwhelming Remorse, that common removal spell in black, often is like one, two, three mana to exile a creature, Go for the Throat does lose a bit of utility because you can basically get that effect at common. So it might be if you're able to get those Overwhelming Remorses, you would rather be getting the good payoff cards instead at higher rarities rather than just another efficient removal spell. Um, but I think like the fact that go for the throat is always cheap definitely gives it a lot of staying power and you don't have to build around it, right? Where overwhelming remorse kind of goes in that shell where you really do want like 16, 17, 18 creatures at a minimum. Go for the throat, like you can play it in more of a controlling deck or a mid-range deck with, you know, 
way way fewer creatures. So just know that, and I think uh, for that spot, it does deserve the number two slot. In red, my number one is Obliterating Bolt. Um, it's one in a red for a sorcery. Obliterating Bolt deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker. If that creature or planeswalker would die this turn, exile it instead. Kind of just your bread and butter removal spell. Nothing fancy about it, but two two mana for four damage is just a great rate. And exile definitely matters in the set again because of unearth and some other shenanigans or creatures being in graveyards. So obliterating bolt, I think, is going to be a solid a solid card you're happy to play. Number two is Horned Stoneseeker. This is kind of a cool one. It's one and a red for a 2-2 Menace. And when Horned Stoneseeker enters the battlefield, create a tap Power Stone token. So that's pretty great. A 2-2 Menace for two that gives you a Power Stone is really good. However, when Horned Stoneseeker leaves the battlefield, sacrifice a Power Stone. So if it does die, you do lose that Power Stone. But the rate on this card is so good. And because it has Menace, you can attack and it's going to be really hard for your opponent to block it. Basically, you get your Power Stone token unless they have like removal for this card. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like Sprouting Goblin, where you get the card right away. Sprouting Goblin gave you a land, so it kind of was that 2-for-1, 2-2 that came into play. And then later in the game, it, it could give you some more advantages. This one's a little different in that you get more advantages up front. It's a little more aggressive. You just get to get way ahead of your opponent with this card. It's like this premium two-mana creature in red. And again, like, it's just stats. So Hornstone Seeker, like, you're going to be... You should pick this card early, and it's going to do a good job in your deck. Last up in green at Uncommon, number one is Serenth Steel Seeker. It's one in green for a 1-2 Human Artificer Scout. And whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control... Look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. If you don't put the card into your hand, you may put it in your graveyard. Um, again, it's just like, it's not hard to get artifacts into play with all these power stones running around. So the fact that this can get you extra lands, or if it's a piece of junk you don't want, you can put it in your graveyard, help fuel some of that self-mill. I think Seren's Sun- Steel Seeker, it's just a card your opponent's going to have to deal with. Because otherwise it's going to draw you like three cards over the course of the game and also give you extra advantages. Like it's turn seven, you play an artifact and there's a two drop on top of your deck. You don't want to draw, then you can just put it in your graveyard. So it it does a lot of, a lot of things, draws you a lot of cards, kind of virtually draws you a lot of cards. If you can get rid of junk off the top of your deck. So yeah, I, I think this is going to be a card that fuels game plans. And those are ones you want to look out for because you can build around them and, really get a lot of power out of it. Number two, I have Iron Craw Crusher. It's a seven mana artifact creature that's a four six. And whenever Iron Craw Crusher attacks, target attacking creature gets plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is Iron Craw Crusher's power. So seven mana four six. At a minimum it attacks and turns itself into an eight six. But it can pump other creatures. And if you can ever pump this, like imagine you pre-combat giant growth this turn it into a 7-9, attack with it, give something else plus 7 plus 0, like, what does your opponent even do in that spot? So Iron Croc Crusher can just, like, really end the game when it comes down and uh, starts, you know, you attack with it. But it also has prototype. So for 2 green green, it also can be a 2-5. So in that 4 mana mode, it's a 2-5 that basically can attack as a 4-5. And so I think it's just, like, the stats are, again, are just there. 
it's just a unique way to get past board stalls. And again, like I don't think you're really overpaying for either half uh, of this card. Two green for a two five that attacks as a four five on its own, or you know interacts well with combat like uh, ways to pump it, or like you can attack and pump up an evasive threat. Like if this is just not going to get through, so um, yeah, this card just does a lot, um, and it's flexible, and um, you're going to want to pick it highly. There are so many cool cards in this set. I'm really hyped for Brothers War. I think the mechanics are excellent. And obviously the order of things is going to change. As we draft the set, we're going to see like what we're right about, what we're not right about, and go from there. Okay, so enjoy your pre-releases this weekend. If you're hearing this on November 10th, then check out the deck building archetype stream uh, on November 11th at 1 p.m. PST. If you're hearing it after the fact, definitely check out that VOD and see what we think about the actual decks. With that, thanks for listening and see you next time on the 40 Card College podcast.